How could you look at those kids and shoot them? Maybe a better question. How could you do nothing about it? Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. I'm at quorumreport.com, and you can find Jeremy's work at houstonchronicle.com. It has already been a long week, Jeremy, and we're only on Thursday. And just a programming note here, this is a special edition of the show. We usually record on Fridays. We're recording now on Thursday for two reasons. One, we want to update folks on what has happened with this tragedy in Uvalde. And two, you'll be heading to Houston after this to check out what's going on and the ripple effects of all this at the NRA convention uh, there in H-Town. And we'll get to all of that uh, coming up. But this is just heartbreaking. Um, And there's only one thing to talk about this week. That's why this is a special edition. It's another shooting at a school here in Texas. We need to do more than just pray for the victims and their families. It's time in Texas that we take action to step up and make sure this tragedy is never repeated ever again in the history of the state of Texas. Jeremy, that was not this week. That was four years ago, 2018, when eight students and two teachers were killed in a school shooting in Santa Fe in southeast Texas. And remember, Abbott promised a lot of things would happen, right? There would be roundtable discussions. There would be real solutions for this sort of stuff. And there has been some legislative uh, you know, efforts made on this, but I would say in just just as objective as I could be, uh, in all fairness, those things really nibble around the edges because what has happened now? A massacre at an elementary school in Uvalde, 19 children and two teachers killed, along with the shooter who was eventually taken down by law enforcement on the scene. And I know a lot of people are sensitive about this being politicized, that you know, that politics is always the first thing that people get into. But I'm going to tell you one thing first. Everything is political. But I first want, before we get into what politicians said, I want you to hear from real people. Does that sound like a good place to start? Um, oh, absolutely. The, the real human impact is almost impossible to measure when you have that many young kids. We're talking 9 and 10 years old, uh, gunned down by a person who in the moment at least was a complete madman, right? Running from the cops. The cops were there on the scene uh, chasing him after he had shot his grandmother. He goes into a classroom, shoots a teacher, starts shooting students. Angel Garza, whose daughter, Amory, was murdered. He told Anderson Cooper that she was a shy little girl. She wanted to help people. And she was actually trying to call the police as this shooting was unfolding. She just tried to call the police. She tried to, she actually tried to call. Yes, I got confirmation from two of the students in her classroom that she was just trying to call the authorities. And I guess he just shot her. How do you look at this girl and shoot her? Oh, my baby. How do you shoot my baby? You know, Jeremy, when you listen to that, you can hear it. It's hard for him to even breathe. I mean, I think about when my daughter was 10 or younger. um, And by the way, she turned 21 this week. Um, I think about when she was little and you you have little ones as well. How old are your kids at this point? 
Well, my youngest, 17, just graduated from high school. So, yeah. you know, and I have three. So I've been through that right. fourth grade period at least three well, times. As a dad of daughters, you know, you, when they're that age, when they're little, you worry about everything. You know, everything could hurt them. Right. They might get into something at the house, like, you know, some uh, insecticide or something. They might, uh, you know, be playing in the backyard and hurt themselves. Um, you, you're constantly worried. You want to wrap them in just a, in a blanket, in an envelope of protection all the time. You drop them off at the school and this happens. It's really unbelievable. And people all over the place have had just incredible reactions to this, uh, just anger, sadness. Let me let you hear from some other relatives of those who were killed there. Uh, This is the uh, uncle and father of another little 10-year-old girl who was unaccounted for at the time that this TV reporter caught up with these two guys. We don't really know much of anything other than there's some casualties and we cannot locate my niece. Do you mind me asking him? When, I first, when you first walked out to me, what did you ask me? If we could get to the, uh, funeral, home. the funeral home. Why would you ask me that? Because we can't find my daughter. He was asking if he could get to the funeral home because they couldn't find his daughter. They wanted to know what was going on. And that day, two days ago here uh, in Texas, you had a civic center set up once again as a morgue. It's not the first time something like that has happened. Uh, and the children were so badly injured and if you think about what had to have happened for them to be unidentifiable by just by looking at them which is what happened with a lot of them you start to understand the brutality right i mean and i don't want to get too graphic here but i think it's important for people to understand how this unfolded the guy shot the teacher and then just started executing the children right one after another and then he's exchanging fire with law enforcement and they finally take him down um some of the parents had to uh give dna swabs you know they put the swab in your cheek to get the dna so that they could match them up and tell people yes that is absolutely your kid we can tell that 100 percent. and you may have seen the reports out of uvalde where at the civic center as parents were learning that it was indeed their child who had been killed People out on the street outside the building could hear the screams from inside the Civic Center where mothers were finding out that their children had been killed. Like This is the kind of tragedy we're talking about. This is not your routine shooting or even school shooting. I think this has hit people in even a greater way. And let me explain. The ripple effects uh, seem to have been felt everywhere around the state, the nation, and the world. And it sort of transcends no, what I would call normal politics. Here's an example. Um, this is at the Miami Heat game in Florida, where they asked for a moment of silence. And Jeremy, listen to how they did it uh, from the PA announcer, who says that people in the crowd don't just need to be respectful. They need to do something. We now ask you to join us in a moment of silence for those no longer with us. Thank you. The Heat urges you to contact your state senators by calling 202-224-3121 to leave a message demanding their support for common sense gun laws. You can also make change at the ballot box Visit heat.com slash vote to register and let your voice be heard this fall. 
Sports figures had interesting reactions. Um, this topic was on the minds of commentators like uh, Chris Russo. He goes by Mad Dog over on ESPN, and he had a few choice words for Governor Abbott. Abbott, the governor. And again, I play it right down the middle. Cruz, that senator. And how about the representative of that community that were in, in West San Antonio and West, and West Texas? They all voted no on gun control deals in March. They voted no on it. And then Adam yesterday gives me this big deal about how we're heartbroken. We had a chance to do something about it. You did nothing. On uh, ABC, Jimmy Kimmel course the late night uh, host there at abc uh he spoke to the camera with no studio audience because he uh, wanted to just have a one-on-one with the viewers at home once again we grieve for the uh, little boys and girls whose lives have been ended and whose families have been destroyed while our, our leaders on the right, the Americans at Congress and at Fox News and these other outlets warn us not to politicize this. Um, they immediately criticize our president for even speaking about doing something to stop it because they don't want to speak about it because they know what they've done and they know what they haven't done and they know that it's indefensible. Jeremy, when I learned about this, and it was the case for a lot of people around the state and the country, you know, you, you start to hear about the reports out of Uvalde, and you know, there's a lag time when something happens in a rural area, right? I mean, the news crews that would have been the closest, I guess, would be in San Antonio, a major, you know, major yeah. metro uh, news crews, and of course, you know, when I worked in Houston, and you'd have something happen in one of the rural areas that was going to end up being a big story. First, you have a debate in the newsroom about whether you should even go because you first try to gather some kind of information from where you are, right? You try to make calls and email people, see if you can talk to the sheriff's department and ask what's really going on there. So you probably have 30 or 45 minutes of that. And then you get on the road and you're down two and a half, three hours, whatever it is to Uvalde, depending on traffic. Um, And we started to see these reports of, uh, you know, two people shot. Then 10 people shot. I saw on ABC News, they were saying 14 people shot. That number continued to grow until we see that this is one of the worst school shootings in the history of the United States. Governor Abbott was giving an update on wildfires in a different part of the state. And when the shooting happened, he shifted his comments to what he knew about the shooting at that time. Uh, the shooter was uh, Salvador Romas, uh, an 18-year-old male who resided in Uvalde. Uh, it's believed that he abandoned his vehicle and entered into uh, the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde w- with a handgun, and he may have also had a rifle but that is not yet confirmed according to my most recent report. Uh, He shot and killed horrifically, incomprehensibly, uh, 14 students uh, and killed a teacher. Uh, Mr. Uh, Romas, the shooter, uh, he he himself uh, is deceased. Once we had more information about this, President Biden addressed the nation from the White House. I had hoped when I became president, I would not have to do this again. Another massacre, Uvalde, Texas, an elementary school, beautiful, innocent, second, third, fourth graders. 
at how many scores of little children who witnessed what happened see their friends die as if they're on a battlefield, for God's sake. Jeremy, I saw some reports out of Ukraine where people who are in an actual war zone were asking people who were from America, specifically some journalists who were there, some Ukrainians were asking what had happened in Texas. And in some ways, the details about what they were hearing about sounded worse to them than some of the things they've seen unfold in eastern Ukraine. Uh, yeah, and so, and, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Absolutely. And you had um, uh, uh, President Zelensky. Actually, you know, mm-hmm. as he's fighting a war in Russia, stop to send condolences to Yavaldi, you know, to yeah. elementary school children and their families who who died. It's like, wow. Try to put that into kind of a perspective mm-hmm. of where we are that, you know, in the middle of a war zone, they will take out time to express their concerns for us, you know, here in Yavaldi. Yeah. Uh, President Biden, of course, has had experience with losing a child and you can feel it coming from him. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. There's a hollowness in your chest. You feel like you're being sucked into it and never going to be able to get out. It's pretty clear the president's losing his patience with Republicans, not all Republicans, by the way, but some Republicans who have stonewalled any and all attempts to reform the nation's gun laws. When in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? There was a report out of Washington just today that Senator John Cornyn, the senior senator from Texas, had said he was going to meet once again uh, with one of his Democratic colleagues, Jeremy, a guy named uh, Chris Murphy. Where is he from? Uh, uh, Connecticut. Connecticut. Um, and apparently, you know, this is not a first time thing for Cornyn uh, to want to really seriously get into bipartisan talks about what can be done uh, on gun reform, right? I mean, he had other pieces of legislation that he's pushed in the past and has had meetings with uh, Murphy previously as well, although Cornyn did agree that there is more urgency now to getting this done after what happened. Yeah, his track record is clear on this. Like back in uh, after Sutherland Springs, uh, mm-hmm. like he was one of the first ones up to you know go after you know fixing the uh, the Nick system. That's the system in which you know uh, people who are discharged from the military, uh, you know, who have problems with the military, you know, that information gets forwarded on uh, to the Pentagon, and so they can share that with the FBI and for you know, in other databases to make sure they don't get guns. And so yeah. there he was, like in you know the weeks after uh, that shooting, you know, putting together legislation, pushing that forward. And they actually got that thing through, you know, it's like, so he's shown that he can get some improvements in the reporting system, at least in this case. And so there's a little bit of hope that maybe with all his seniority and kind of knowing how to get legislation through, you know, with Murphy, maybe there's something that they can do. He is seen by some Democrats and Republicans as well as somebody that can be worked on uh, or worked with uh, on this issue, uh, which, of course, has just seen such uh, bipartisan or such partisan gridlock yeah. uh, for so many years. Just nothing ever happens. And, you know, Jeremy, I'm bringing that up to say that these discussions always go the same way. Republicans would have a press conference and say what they say about it. They'd say it's not the time to politicize this, and we need to talk about mental health. We need to talk about hardening the targets. 
It's troubling to me. They call schools targets and they want to harden them. Um, they say what they always say about this stuff. And then a Democrat might have a press conference. Let's say a Democrat running for governor of Texas might have a press conference somewhere in a hotel ballroom. And they've got an easel with, you know, pictures of the victims and a picture of, you know, whatever gun was used in the shooting. Um, and the news stories you would get out of that would be pretty pro forma. Basically, the talking points from the Republicans and the Democrats are all saying the same stuff that they always say. Well, that's not how this played out this week. Go ahead, Jeremy. No, I was thinking, you know, it's like remember in 20, you know, I want you know listeners to remember this one because we're going to be talking about it later, too. Like yeah. in 2018, when Donald Trump was in the White House after Parkland mm-hmm. uh, and he had just met with victims and he had you know talked about how we need to do more and was literally lecturing Republicans on needing to stand up the NRA that mm. looked like that was going to be the moment. Maybe it would be different. Yep. And of course, nothing happened. No. Right. So this week, Abbott was surrounded by fellow Republican politicians in Uvalde the day after the shooting. He got down there um, and he was offering another update on the information that he had received from the Department of Public Safety and local law enforcement. And then something happened that I've not seen in my time covering politics. Um, have you seen anything quite like this, Jeremy? No, not in, not like this. Right. You know, there have always been various confrontations, but um, they were in an auditorium there in Uvalde, and Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat who, of course, is running against Abbott, walked up to the stage to confront the governor and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick specifically. It seemed like he was mainly directing his comments at those two, perhaps at the Speaker of the House as well, who was there. But I think mainly Patrick and Abbott he was talking to. Um, uh, The Speaker, by the way, was not the Speaker when the last big shootings happened. Um, You will hear Patrick here in this confrontation. Uh, Patrick says that Beto is an embarrassment. You'll hear Ted Cruz, who was also on the stage, say that uh, this is a stunt and you need to go sit down. And you can hear Beto saying, look, this is the fault of you, Greg Abbott, and you, Dan Patrick, you can hear him say, this is on y'all. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down. Get out of this shooting is right now, and you are doing nothing. No, you need to get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to the show. This is totally predictable. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. The last person you heard speaking there shouting at Beto O'Rourke and calling him names is the mayor of Uvalde, who's very worked up about this. It's one of the most Texas things I have ever seen. Now, why did Beto do it that way? Well, after he was escorted outside of the building, he said this to reporters in the parking lot. He came to my hometown of El Paso after 23 people were slaughtered. He said he was going to do something. He did nothing. In fact, the only thing he did was make it easier to buy a gun. The only thing he did was make it easier to carry a gun in public. And he bragged about the fact that there would be no background check, no training, no vetting whatsoever. You know, he he talked about that this was evil. The only thing evil is what he continues to do to the people of this state. He says this was unpredictable. It was totally predictable. And I predict this will continue to happen when you continue to have a governor who will not stand up for the people of Texas. His only interest is the gun lobby. He's scheduled to speak at the NRA convention this Friday. 
in Houston, Texas, just days after these kids were slaughtered. At that press conference in uh, in Uvalde, Governor Abbott um, did not specifically commit to speaking at the NRA, uh, even though it's still on the schedule, right, that he's going to speak there. Uh, Abbott, when he was asked about it, said that he's sort of living minute to minute right now and moment to moment. Um, after that confrontation and after those comments uh, from Beto to the reporters in the parking lot, you had uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick and the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, and Governor Abbott all say a version of this, that it's not the time to politicize this. It's not the time for anybody's political agenda to be front and center. And instead, it should be the people who have been most affected by this. And we need to think about the victims and who has been hurt here. Um, I don't think that them saying that in and of itself is 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 wrong. But let's let's get real. The event was already political. Who was on stage? It was the governor of Texas, the lieutenant governor, the speaker, a couple of state senators, the attorney general. I think there might have been a state representative there and the mayor of the town, in addition to some other people. Who else could have been on stage? First responders, uh, people who could talk mental health care, mental health experts, folks like that. There was none of that, right? It was all politicians. Why is Angela Paxton, who's a state senator from Collin County, which is, what, 12 hours away maybe from Uvalde? Why is she on stage there? Oh, because she's married to the AG who's also. Oh, so it's all politicians on stage. That's my point. It's already a political event. Beto doing what he did made it a different kind of political event and certainly a different kind of conversation that's come out of this. And I had so many reactions to that I received, Jeremy, from Republicans and even some Democrats who said, look, Beto's jumping the shark here. He's going too far with all this. Uh, It's too much. It's unstatesmanlike. You can't act that way. Um, But I I really enjoyed your article where you said, hey, look, and, and this is the way I would say it's sort of a paraphrase. I think it's more of a moment that can be a springboard to other conversations. But Beto's not doing this in a vacuum. Right. He's doing this. uh, He you know, he's taking this step of confronting them in a state where Republicans don't always uh, debate their Democratic rivals um, and in a state where where if Republicans don't get what they want out of the the election, they just change the rules at the legislature. Yeah. And I have a a little insight on just kind of how all of it kind of broke down. It's like these are some small small details and all of it, but just, you know, it probably helps people kind of get into this. So like originally uh, a work was planning to fly to New York. Uh, when the shooting happened. You know, he was actually in Houston when they canceled all those plans. They were going to do some interviews up in New York again. Uh, he rents a car in Houston. They drive all night to get to uh, Uvalde to, to be around it. Uh, if you've been watching you know, as, in past you know, natural disasters and shootings and things like that, you, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of what his MO is. He goes to these places. He's bringing water. Right. He's trying to find ways to help. Sometimes he looks like he's just a third wheel in the whole thing or whatever. Sure. But so yeah. he just like, he just starts driving. You know, it's like, you know, so they just end up in there. He gets into town apparently super late that night, early that morning. Isn't planning to go to this press conference. He's just, you know, trying to meet with families and talk to people about what happened. He says a couple of family members invited him you know, to come to the press conference thing with them to kind of watch the thing. And and his staff tells me all they want all he they expected him to do was just be there. And so he surprised mm-hmm. his own staff you know, when he actually jumped up and you know did the confrontation. So it just kind of I, I I don't know if he planned it or not. You know, obviously people are going to say that it was scripted or not. It's like you know all I know was what you know I've heard from you know my sources kind of working yeah, sure. on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just you know but you hit it on the head. It's like there's just like a, a di- yeah you know. Is it potentially like outrageous that he would stand up and uh, point his finger? 
Uh, absolutely. I guess, but, I guess yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's look debatable. look at the last four years in Texas politics. So that four to five years. You know, I, I go back to that 2017 election you know, uh, legislative session where, like, all of a sudden we were talking about, you know, you know, bathroom bills and show me your paper laws and things mm-hmm. like that. And, it, like, you know, tempers were just, like, obviously frayed during the, the regular oh, session, yes. the special session. You know, Correct. legislators started doing things in the middle of the night to kind of, like, you know, you know, quell any opposition to big bills. So, like, even we saw it in this last session where they're debating abortion legislation that would change abortion rights for the ever in the state of Texas, and they're doing it at two o'clock in the morning. Well, uh, let me add, voting you were, rights legislation, right? You know, yeah, they, you were in the Senate all night while they did voting rights legislation. Absolutely, in the Before middle of the night, the they're doing all these things. They're, 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 you know, like the. the Whatever sort of civility we think we had in politics, this isn't the old days of of uh, John Connolly and you know, Lloyd Benson having a disagreement, you know, you know, in letters to one another. <laughs> We're past right. that time, folks. So it's like this is the point. Like in the last five years, we've baked something into our system where it's finger pointing on Fox News and yelling at people like, you know, in chambers and having, you know, the the chambers cleared of protesters and, you know, people wanting to slug each other on the floor of the house and people having to intervene. It's like, that is where we are now. This is a different, you know, era. And and so to see Beto O'Rourke, you know, it's like, would I have done it? No. Uh, Would that have been the venue I would have picked? No. But what do I know about politics in this stage right now where just like anything goes, there's no, it does. Well, one person you didn't, well, one person you didn't mention, I asked this question to several friends and people who, you know, are they're speaking in good faith when they say, man, I think he's jumped the shark and, and that's too much. This is the question I asked them. If Donald Trump was running as the Democrat for governor in Texas, what would he do right now? The, The thing is, I don't know the answer, which is kind of the point. He's unpredictable. Like what you're describing happened with O'Rourke is yeah. he's doing something unpredictable, something we didn't expect. And I think it changes the conversation. Uh, uh, think about this. It may play one way in Uvalde, right? Where you probably have people divided about that. I would guess that there are family members of victims who appreciated that he did that. And there might be some who didn't like that he did that. I don't Absolutely. know. My understand my understanding, but, and especially when you have a group that big, 20 people, you know, 19 kids who are slaughtered, all of their parents, I'm sure, are not in agreement about gun control, right? Well, That's and, a large and, and group, remember, right? There's, and remember the different Well, there's a debate stages. even among them, is my point. Yeah, and, lo- and look at the different stages of grief, too. There's going to be a yeah. lot of people who are angry right now, who that yeah. kind of fits with. Some people won't be angry till later, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, maybe it'll kind of, you know, hit them differently. So there's so many, like, elements of, of grief in this thing. It's like, you know, just having lost loved ones. Imagine losing so many loved ones so young when there's no indication that there's any danger whatsoever that morning. And it's like, and so you can right. just imagine the emotion is going to be all over the place. So yes, there's, there are probably family members who would like to kill Beto O'Rourke for even, you know, coming to that event. And then there are others who would probably like to pat him back and saying, thank right. you for saying what I want to say, which is what the hell are you doing to protect my kids? And, it's right, like, so and it, that's what you didn't hear 
Mm-hmm. And that whole press conference with Abbott yeah. and all those people, there was nothing. Like he actually goes at one point, and this just drives me crazy in politics, uh, where he goes down a list of 16 things they've done uh, mm-hmm. that, that he signed into law to harden schools and right. to help with mental health. Like, to me, that's the same thing as saying that, oh, we did 17 things to lower your property taxes. And then you get your property tax bill yeah, and, and nothing has changed. It's the right. same thing. It's like you've done all this stuff to harden in schools but it and doesn't yet, matter there's a yeah. gunman in a fourth grade classroom murdering children and you're telling me you hardened the schools don't tell me you hardened the schools it didn't happen it's right, like you're bragging. you didn't do yeah whatever you think you did to harden schools there's 20,000 schools in Texas you did not harden 20,000 schools in Texas you know if you do that great but don't tell me you did it until it's been done yeah, they're Don't bragging me think about my kid's school has one entrance, you know, now with security at all times. It's like it's not true. It's like I, I live next to an elementary school. I yeah. see it all day. There's not security there most of the day. Those children, what are we supposed to do? How do we harden that? It's like mm-hmm. it's certainly not hardened. The, I digress. <laughs> no, the um, it's appropriate uh, to, to think about all that. The the thing is, it sounded to me like they're bragging about their failure, which is what they've done on property taxes as well. Abbott is the same person who now says that we need a property taxpayer's bill of rights. When I thought in 2019, y'all fixed all that uh, on property taxes. Um, Beto mentioned that shooting in Santa Fe that we started with, and Lieutenant Governor Patrick was on the Tucker Carlson show on Fox News Channel, which is where I would go if I wanted to offer a heartfelt and genuine argument. And he said, we are a particularly coarse society. I am going to stop for a second to chuckle at the fact that Dan Patrick is lecturing us all about being at each other's throats. He says that the real problem is that people don't care enough for each other, that we've turned away from God and all that. And here's his argument. Once again, same thing he said in 2018 that you know what there are too many doors on school buildings we can do a lot of things and texas has done a lot of things after the santa fe shooting uh, obviously we have to do more we have to harden these targets so no one can get in ever except through one entrance maybe that would would help maybe that would stop someone but it's really bigger than that tucker it's we're a core society we're a, we're a society that's just at each other's throats all the time and 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 we're better than we're better than this as a nation. Okay, he mentioned a coarse society. We're at each other's throats, and uh, that we need to harden these targets. Which I, again, it it grosses me out that we think about the place that kids go to learn about the world around them, get an education. That we think of it as a target. If you think of it as a target, you have to question what's it a target for. Well, it's a target for what he didn't mention, which is guns. Let me give you another. People with guns. People will say immediately. I'll get emails. It's the person that kills. Uh, it kills people, not the gun. Well, the gun helps. Okay. So he didn't mention guns. Attorney General Ken Paxton on Fox News Channel as well, of course, and he said that there's no way to stop bad people from doing bad things. In fact, you if you have laws in place to keep people from doing things, it, that doesn't mean they won't do them. I will remind the listeners that Ken Paxton is a living, breathing example that if you have laws you know, against certain things, that certain people just won't follow those laws. He's living proof. <laughs> we have an, we have an inter- attorney general under indictment for six years, and now he's under investigation by the FBI. But it's my turn to digress. Here's Paxton on Fox. 
we need to continue to try to focus on preventing this. We we can't stop bad people from doing bad things. They're going to violate murder laws. They're not going to follow gun laws. I've never understood that argument. But we are we can't harden these schools. We can uh, create points of access that are difficult to get through. We can potentially arm and prepare and train uh, teachers and other administrators to respond quickly because the reality is we don't have the resources to, to have law enforcement at every school. And so it takes time for, for law enforcement, no matter how prepared, no matter how good they are, to get there. This is what happens when you have a set of talking points that are not adjusted based on the facts of the case. He's saying that we can't always have police on the scene when a shooter shows up. In this case, there were literally cops who chased him to where he crashed his car, and then he fought them off with you know with his assault-style weapons. They had pistols. The cops did. So I've always heard this argument about the good guys with the guns. We'll stop the bad guy with the guns. Well, that did not happen. He, he, he fought off the cops and went into the school and then killed all these kids. Um, again, he doesn't want to address the guns, and it's the thing that we're not allowed to debate in this state. And in this country either, I'm encouraged to see Senator Cornyn, but I do want to say something about uh, the uh, holistic look that we all need to take at how this stuff happens. Republicans are not wrong to say that there is a mental health aspect to this, that there is uh, something to the idea that you've had the breakdown of the uh, traditional family in some cases. I know that that actually does play a role. Um, Hardening schools, uh, you know, having better school security. That's something to absolutely have a real conversation about. But there's one thing that is common to every mass shooting. And pull back a little bit, not just every school shooting, but there's one thing that's common. It's the commonality. It's the, it's the, it's the thread that runs through every mass shooting. And it is not a school, right? Because it can happen at other places. It happened at a supermarket in Buffalo about 12 days ago. It's not racial hatred because sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. It's not a domestic situation. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It's not the age of the shooter because sometimes the person is under 21. Sometimes they're not, right? The thing that's common in every shooting is a loaded gun. And that is the thing that we're not allowed to debate in this state in any other way other than saying we need to loosen up those restrictions. Well, not well, have any two, more restrictions. And well, and, two, well, and 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 the simple well, one of the thing the simple question for Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Speaker Phelan, all of this all the leadership. The simple question is what are you willing to do that does anything other than make it easier and easier and easier and easier and easier for something like what happened this week to happen. Well, and, and look at the, the you, know, you know to back you up on this. You know, look what happened in Buffalo. There was a good guy with a gun in the right. store. Look at what happened in Parkland. There were good gun, guys with guns. You know, with the you know the sheriff's department there. Yeah, you know, that did not were not able to or would not you know do anything to stop that shooter. It's like it, it's not always a good guy with a gun. Yeah, every now and then you have a great situation. It's like it's it's, it's hard to like you know express appreciation for you know Stephen Williford. He was the man in Sutherland Springs who right. was next door when the church shooting started and grabbed his gun and started shooting you know back at the you know, perpetrator. Mm-hmm. It's like. Good for him. That's a great moment. That the, and and it, and a lot of you know people in the NRA and the Republican movement say, "So there you, a good guy with a gun is really important." But let's not forget, like a lot of people were already dead when that had happened. Uh, and a lot of these other places, there is a good guy with a gun, but that's not going to be enough. There's there's right. this guy, there's there's a bigger discussion, obviously, to this whole 
you know, solutions to, to these problems. And it's right. not going to be one thing. It's like, it's not, you know, just the schools. And, and, and I, I, I'm stealing this from somewhere. It couldn't even been from you. But like, let's remember when an 18 year old who was just in high school and you know, what's his life been like for the last like six to seven years, he's been going through shooting trainings right. in school. He knows what the procedures are. So right. these, you know, shooters they're the guy out in Buffalo, the kid, you know, oh, kid, the, the man in, in Uvalde, yeah. they were right. just in school. They've been through the drills. They know what happens. Right. They know they're supposed to lock the door and pretend nobody's there. They what already know that. It's like we've we, trained up the people who are the opposition. Yeah, yeah we're literally sh- – the, the future shooters all know Oof. how to do it and, you know, what's going to happen if they do it. It's like it's, it's a ridiculously sad situation where that shooter probably knew exactly what the fourth grade class was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and they, <sighs> training the opposition, you know, in a school shooting situation, you know, growing a generation of these people. Um, you look at some of the restrictions that are proposed. I saw some uh, hot debates this week uh, where Republicans were saying that they would at least maybe be willing to look at raising the age at which you're legally able to buy some of these firearms. Uh, but there's a lot of pushback on that. Um, I don't see top leadership saying that they would go for that. 18 to 21 is what people were proposing. Let's say, look, in in a lot of these school shootings, it's the 18-year-olds that you're talking about who are doing this. So why not raise it to the age of 21? Well, I heard from a Republican state senator who said, well, you know, then the 18-year-old will just shoot, he'll, he'll shoot people anyway. He'll just steal the gun. And here's my thought. How about we make him a criminal the moment he steals the gun, right? Like now you're starting to add up the charges that he's going to face when he goes and does that, right? Why not make it harder for the person to get the gun in the first place. And Ken Paxton, who is aggressively ignorant, he's sitting there saying like, well, you know, I don't understand it. He, in that, in that audio, you heard him say he didn't understand murder laws. Why don't we just get rid of murder laws too? He, I think he kind of said the quiet part out loud, which is, which he, he, he meant to say gun laws, of course, I'll be generous here. I know that's what he meant to say. But the quiet part out loud is why even have murder laws? That's what I would say about all this is why have any laws at all? Why don't we, why do we need lawmakers at all if nobody's going to follow the laws that they pass? Why pass abortion laws if women are just going to drive to Mexico and get one anyway? I mean, you see how that argument works the other way? Like, what's the difference? Like, why would you put any of these restrictions in place? Um, I think this is the kind of discussion that's going to happen um, at the NRA convention this weekend. Uh, the people will be pushing back aggressively on the kind of things that I'm saying, Jeremy. You're heading there, and the big headliner. The man they're waiting to hear is Donald J- Donald John Trump. Almost said James Trump. Donald John Trump. I uh, see. I'm already forgetting his his name at this point. He's been out of office for a little while. I think he might be a little hot to trot, Jeremy, because his candidates lost in Georgia this week. So he'll probably be ranting about that. Uh, I think you were looking into his sort of um, interesting history with the National Rifle Association because. This might surprise some people if they hadn't looked into it. They were not always friendly, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and, and really to what you were just saying, you know, guess who was originally proposing to up the age from 18 to 21 to buy a lot of these weapons? There was a certain, you know, person named Donald Trump who said it made no sense to him. We have it on tape. <laughs> you, know, it's like, you can watch it on C-SPAN. It made no sense to him why uh, a kid buying a handgun has to wait till 21 in some states, but they can buy other weapons under the age of 21. Right. And he specifically rolled that out as an idea, which kind of hits on kind of what I was looking at. Like, there was so much about Trump that was a danger to people in the gun rights movement. You do, it's hard to think about. You know the NRA is against Obama. You know they're against Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. But but with Trump, it was a different thing. It's like a lot of people questioned his, like, his commitment to the gun issue. Like, recognizing Trump, what we have is we have a Republican president uh, who doesn't hunt in his not a gun enthusiast we haven't had one of those since before reagan you know it's like mm -hmm. you know, reagan george hw bush george w bush they all hunted you know so you know, they were all gun right. enthusiasts trump was not that guy in fact trump has gone so far as to say that he doesn't understand hunting uh his kids do it and he he, he famously said i don't understand what they see in it but that's what they like to do as mm -hmm. like and so he's not your traditional Republican pro-gun guy, right. and he had said a lot of stuff over the 20 years where he supported not just you know raising the age, but he's talked about closing loopholes. There's one point where he supported an assault weapons ban, right? You know the, the thing that the NRA would lose their mind over. <laughs> so he's right. been on this other side so many times, and even after Parkland, when he started talking about some of his language, set the stage for potentially if he really wanted to. He could put his political capital behind some of the even meager gun reforms that, you know, Pat Toomey and Joe Manchin uh, were pushing for at the time in the Senate. As like if he had put his weight behind that and had, you know, MAGA all behind him, mm -hmm. you know, boy, that could have been a danger to the NRA. But Huge. what we see this week and in, in, in what we'll see in Houston on Friday when he mm -hmm. takes the stage is – uh, NRA just loves him because ultimately right. they were able to talk him down on all of it. On every mm -hmm. single, every time he said something like that, the NRA had a direct line right. to the White House to talk to Trump, to reel him in, and make sure he didn't do the things that he was saying he wanted to do on CNN or Fox News and things like that. Like all of a sudden, they they knew how to kind of hold him back. And so, so and so, what did they get out of it? What did he get out of it? So the trade-off, what you're seeing in, at, at the NRA is Trump gave them absolutely everything they wanted and more. Right. You'll have to read my story over the weekend to kind of see sure. all the stuff yeah. he did for them behind the scenes. But, you know, so what did he get out of it? He's gotten out of it. No president has ever spoken to the NRA annual convention as much as he has. Right. Like this, this is historic. Like nobody has done this so frequently and mm -hmm. been lauded so much. And they give him what he just absolutely loves, an adoring crowd chanting Trump, you know, when he takes the stage. Right. Yeah, well, no matter and... how, with all the chips down coming out of Georgia, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, taking that beating, you know, in other sure. places, his popularity slipping. I was like, what does he have? He gets to come into you know, Houston and have this raucous response from a bunch of pro-gun people in the NRA mm -hmm. as basically a thank you for the four years he gave them. So that's the trade-off we're witnessing here on Friday. Right. Well, we will see. Unbelievable given that it's about a five-hour drive from Uvalde, you know, when we're doing all this tomorrow.
Right. Um, we are uh, going to watch all that very closely. I mean, look, uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick also folded like a cheap suit when he said he was going to take on the NRA. You remember when he was going to propose, uh, you know, something strong? He said something strong on background checks. And he said that someone needed to, quote, buck the NRA, close quote. He did not do anything on that because there was such backlash from that part of the Republican Party. And Patrick, I would say, who's also scheduled to speak, right, at the uh, at the NRA in Houston, yes. he, he also folded like a cheap suit when the Texas House was first to pass, quote, constitutional carry, which is the uh, you know, permitless carry of a firearm, of, of a handgun. Um, and Patrick was very hesitant about that bill. For a few years, he had made all sorts of excuses for why the Senate had not passed that. Um, and the previous speakers of the House, uh, Joe Strauss and Dennis Bonin, were not all fired up about it. But Speaker Phelan made it a priority. The House passed it first. It went over to the Senate. And Patrick was more in line with prosecutors and law enforcement who said to please not do that. Prosecutors, basically, the short version is prosecutors said it's a kind of a bad idea to take the paperwork out of handgun sales and, and, and who has a handgun. Uh, so to have no training, no license, no nothing while people are walking around with a handgun is a terrible idea. Well, Patrick and the Senate, they added a few things into the bill to try to strengthen it a little bit and allow for prosecutors to go after people who might misuse the handgun. But he folded on that in just the same way. I want to leave folks with one thought, and it's um, it's it's really just a question, something to ponder as we go into this weekend um, about the future future politics of our state. And I don't know the answer. It's a op- completely open question. You know that, and we talked about this a bunch, that Governor Abbott, before this week, and we may still see some of this, before this week, Abbott was going to pummel Beto O'Rourke by replaying and replaying and replaying the audio of what O'Rourke said when he was running for president, what he said about assault rifles, right? That he would, hell yes, take away your AR-15, your AK-47, and all that. Remember what he said, and this is after the shootings in El Paso and Odessa, and he was asked during a presidential debate why he would want to strip these uh, Second Amendment rights away from people. The high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Abbott's team, of course, wants to focus in on about three seconds of that where he says, hell yes, we'll take those weapons from you. Um, I wonder, Jeremy, you know, a, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, if you played that for people in Texas, a lot of folks might be really upset with Beto about that. And maybe they still are. But I wonder if it hits people's ears differently after the news out of Uvalde this week where the same exact thing is being done with the same exact weapons uh, once again, and there doesn't seem to be any promise from Republican leadership in the state to do anything differently about those weapons. And what's it going to look like? And we'll follow your coverage closely 
from the NRA. What's it going to look like if Governor Abbott is there on stage, you know, pumping up that NRA crowd about their Second Amendment rights and about how these people, these gun grabbers want to take your guns? I think this evens the playing field that politically evens the playing field a little bit more about this issue. And I'm not sure how people are going to be thinking about it a month from now, two months from now, three months from now. I don't know how this is going to play at the Democratic convention, the state convention in Dallas, how they're going to talk about it there. You know, once, you know, once Beto is, you know, fully ensconced as the Democratic nominee uh, for governor and how they talk about all these things, I do think, and I'll continue to, to make this case, that there are certain issues that are good for growing the coalition of the Democratic Party and they're good issues for growing the coalition of the Republican Party, right? Uh, at this moment in history, Democrats have a buffet of things they can talk about in Texas. Property taxes, the electricity grid, abortion rights, and now guns right back up to the top of the list. The people are very concerned about these things, hotly debating these things. And as you said earlier in the show, we are well past the sort of genteel way of doing these things. This is a full contact sport, and Texas politics has always been that, right, to an extent. I think it's been taken to a new level, and I don't know that the folks who were happy to have, you know, Donald Trump turn basically politics into a version of professional wrestling, I don't know that they're going to have a lot of success in telling folks that Beto should not be just as aggressive on these issues as embodied by the way he interrupted Abbott this week. Yeah, and, and, and to, to sound like a broken record, you know, in a state where we've added uh, 3 million new voters in such a short window of time that's been pushing the state more democratic, particularly in statewide elections, uh, how does this, you know, gun issue play now that now that every parent with a, children, a child in school is thinking about this issue once again and it's like, yeah, why can't we do something to keep that 18-year-old away from a gun to kill my children. It's like all of that. Like, what does that do to all the politics? Who knows? It's like, like we, we've talked. You, you look at the last couple of shows as we've talked about, like the speed at which the news cycle is going is insane at this point, and the issues are piling up. Uh, but if there's one issue that cuts across and, and like where it's like you don't have to be Democrat or Republican, you're just a normal person who doesn't eat, drink, and you know live politics all the time. Mm-hmm. This matters to you. Like you've right. got kids, you've got grandkids, you've got you know nieces and nephews and schools. It's like and like the idea that people can't go to school like without having to think about you know drills of how to do things. Right. Like I, I I've, I've talked about this before, but like you know my daughter when when she, you know, my youngest when she was starting high school, as like we had a session with the PTA mm-hmm. where they talked about how they're trying to raise money for tourniquets in the classrooms be, you know, so in case a shooter came and the kids were bleeding to death on the floor, at least the other kids might be able to do something to try to stop the bleeding. And like, that's where we are. That's where we live in, in Texas as parents sending our kids to school. We've all been in PTA meetings like that, trying to figure out, well, what can we do? Cause the state won't let us do a lot of things. It's like, so what is there possible for us? Okay, how about volunteer tourniquet training for our children? Yeah, I'm going to leave you with some numbers here, and then I'm going to end where I started. Um, The highest number of school shootings by country this year, all right? I'm going to list a couple of countries and tell you how many school shootings there were. This year, in the United States, 288. 
The next closest is Mexico with eight. South Africa, six. India, five. Nigeria, four. Pakistan, four. Canada's way down the list at two. Brazil has had two so far this year. If you're concerned about these things, and no matter what side you're on, if you're concerned about these things, how could you do nothing about it? There are things that you can do. And I would tell people, register to vote, make your voice heard, because it is important. Whatever you think, it's it's important, right? I'm going to leave it right there. And we appreciate you tuning into the special edition of the show. If you enjoy this and um, and you enjoy our, our usual shows, which come at you usually every Friday, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. We appreciate that you listen. Uh, and please give us the best rating that you can. That's the selfish part. That's the part that helps us. Subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com. Follow Jeremy on uh, Twitter for his updates from uh, the NRA convention this weekend. He's at Jeremy S. Wallace. I'm at Scott Braddock on Twitter, and we'll see you next time.